2: And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am so excited for today because today is a conversation that I would like to have myself. This is almost a selfish conversation in today's market. This is a fantastic chat that we had with Kyle Green. He is the owner of the Green Mortgage team. Kyle is a friend of the show. He's been on the program a lot.
3: Past guest fan favorite.
2: Yeah, for sure. And one thing about Kyle, anyone that knows him is he is a, is a super well-established mortgage broker, has a massive team and, and portfolio book in the Lower Mainland. And uh, who better to talk to
3: about investments in real estate? Strategy around investments than Kyle. Yeah, I mean the the nice thing about Kyle is self described works primarily with investors, right? And he invests in a lot of real estate himself. So if you want somebody with a finger on the pulse of what's going on right now and some skin in the game and some skin in the game, Kyle uh, Green is your man, and he's on today. And also, what I like about Kyle is he's a great guy to just bounce ideas off of because I feel like he just has these conversations all day. So, um, you know, similar to us, I guess, but in some respects, we just ask them, are there opportunities right now? What does the next six months look like? Defense or offense? We go into it all. And, And what I love about this as well is it goes
2: without saying, but he's talking to high level investors all the time. And so it's like, where are the investors going, right? What are they doing right right now? What strategies are people taking? He is an open book today on the podcast, talks about everything real estate, what's going on in the current market. This is a great episode. And if you are kind of just monitoring the market, wondering, should I be out there shopping right now? Should I be getting my ducks in a row? Should I be
3: buying in the lower mainland? Where should I be looking? Today is the the episode for you. You know, one thing I've been thinking about, and we kind of touch on it a little bit today is... The kind of shock and awe strategy that the the Bank of Canada is employing right now, and I guess the Fed as well, but raising interest rates so dramatically, it's, I'm wondering when the moment is, right? Because I think, and Kyle kind of alludes to it today, and and this is, I, I think I'm in agreement with him, you know, the next six months, I don't think anybody has to worry about prices uh, uh, running out of control uh, in terms of sure. escalation, right? But. When does the shock and awe wear off and it kind of goes back to business as usual? Because we're clearly kind of in a shock and awe moment, which makes me wonder, okay, where the window of opportunity, how long does this last?
2: Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I was actually with another agent on the weekend talking and his prediction, take it or leave it, but he's been selling a lot of real estate for a long time, was that September we're going to see an uptick
3: of people coming back to the market. So TBD. TBD, that's for sure. I feel like there's a lot of people with pretty clear crystal balls out there. I'm following them all. And uh, and I feel Yours like... Yours is a bit murky, though. I, I'm admittedly murky because I feel like I've watched everybody get this wrong a bunch. There's no clear-cut answers here. But one thing's for sure, we are in the doldrums of summer. Right. And, uh, and I'm not complaining. And,
2: and like in the second heat dome in three weeks or whatever, right? Uh, man, I was in a, a place with no shade on the weekend twice. I think I had sunstroke like two days in a row. Well, you
3: actually had your daughter's birthday.
2: I had my daughter's birthday at McLean McLean park. Park. And, uh, man, I was there. It was supposed to be like a three hour party, but people just kind of kept coming and going. Producer
3: Brady D was there.
2: Yeah. Brady D was there. I stood to make sure this is, this is what a gracious host I I am. I stood outside of the shade to give everybody else the shade. Not all heroes wear tank tops. Um, (laughs) Some 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 tarps off uh, myself, <laughs> yeah. uh, but I I stood there. Come on, everybody. you were
3: you were. I was tarps
2: off. off. Yeah, I was tarps off the entire time. You gotta be it. kidding. Yeah, I was the only one, <laughs> only one. Uh, but here it is. I I stood in the sun while everybody else stood around in the shade. But man, I got I was like sick for like a day after so much sun, so hot right now. And then last night, like. So then, the following day, Sunday, I go to this uh, rooftop deck party. No, no at, big deal. MBD, and it's uh, it's over at uh, a, a friend of the family's. And I go, okay, well, w- clearly there's going to be some shade because I'm still sick from from the birthday party. Right. Get on the rooftop deck. Nothing. No, no shade whatsoever. Not a not a tree. Not a not a uh, an umbrella. Nothing. Stood out there for another three hours and just cooked. And I'm finally, finally starting to feel at uh, normal again, but like, it was like sun hurt when it yeah, hit yeah. my skin.
3: This almost feels like world's smallest violence stories here. Yeah. But, <laughs> so anyways, and then I went home, <laughs> it was just, lumpy pillow. Yeah. I had <laughs> a, a horrible
2: sleep. <laughs> the takeout was cold. The takeout was cold. Yeah. I, I actually, the one thing I will say is, you know, we complain in Vancouver when, when it's not hot. And then we definitely complain when, when it's the weather's like this, like, yeah. that's what everybody's, everyone's like, it's too hot. It's like, it's, oh, it's horrible. No air, no AC, et cetera. But it's like,
3: and this is what we've been waiting for. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not complaining yet. That's for sure. Maybe we should cut Adam, uh, to our talk with Kyle Green. I love this one. Yeah, no, it's, it's great hearing Kyle's take on the current moment.
2: Yeah, no, this is a fantastic episode. And if you are one of those people who's kind of hanging around and wondering, I want to get in, I just got to figure out how to get in and, and how to time this and what strategy to use when it comes to interest rates, et cetera. This is for sure the episode for you. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds
3: all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible mark-on projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markonca Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also
2: excited about Sonehouse, House, Marcon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one-beds to three-beds, Sohn House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at Marcon.ca slash sownhouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at Marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at MarconHomes. Markon, Building for Life. All right, so we're here with Kyle Green. He is the owner of the Green
3: Mortgage Team.
2: How you doing, Kyle?
1: Great.
3: Yeah, Kyle, thanks so much for taking the time. Past guest fan favorite, that's for sure. Maybe for people listening that haven't heard you on the show before and aren't familiar with you, can you start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself?
1: For sure, yeah. Um, I've been a mortgage broker uh, for just over 15 years now. So I started when I was 19 years old, locked out, got into a really good uh, situation where I was assisting some really high um, high producing agents and then broke off on my own in 2009, started building my own my own business and my own brand and hiring my first staff member, et cetera. Um, and my niche has been working with real estate investors. So in 2008, I got hooked up with a fellow named Aussie uh, Jirak here in Vancouver, um, started doing presentations for him and his group. I uh, did my very first uh, live presentation in front of 600 people when I was 21 years old. And it was actually – Accident was supposed to speak that day, but uh, another mortgage broker didn't show up, and so I had an opportunity to uh, to get in front of 600 people and talk <laughs> with no no material at all. Um, and now I'm um, one of the uh, the leading the leading brokers with regards to real estate investment, especially in Western Canada. So, it's a member of a uh, Rain, another group called REAG, a member of Keyspire. So, our uh, our client base is about 80% uh, real estate investors. In addition to that, I recently bought a mortgage brokerage in Vancouver that funded a billion dollars. Um, and with um, with myself, my team and some of my agents that came over, we're now about 50, 50 agents funding about $1.4 billion in, um, in mortgages annually, which is good for about number four or five for Dominion lending franchises in the country. And in addition to all this, a couple of years ago, I also started a real estate investing consulting company to help real estate investors grow their real estate portfolios as well. So... Yeah, lots to do and, and, uh, and, and whatnot, but most of it is all in uh, in the finance space and in specific uh, financing for real estate investors.
2: That's fantastic. Well, Kyle, every time we have you on the program, we, we, I think we start with this question, but just generally speaking, how's the market?
1: You know, it's it's very interesting. We haven't seen interest rates rise this quickly since I believe the '80s. There was another period, I think, in the early '90s or mid '90s, when uh, when interest rates went up uh, fairly quickly too. But uh, but I think this is a, a period where we've we've seen the fastest increases since uh, since the '80s. And so obviously, um, a lot of uh, what we've been dealing with is just explaining what's happening and why it's happening to uh, the customers. What we've noticed, as far as the real estate market, especially in Vancouver, is concerned, is that It's still a fairly resilient market. We're still dealing with a low supply market. However, the demand side has also fallen too. So it doesn't seem like, and in many cases, when we see a a market turn like this, you often will see the supply increasing and that will often uh, cause prices to fall and fall fairly quickly. But we're not really seeing that in Vancouver. I think you're seeing it more in in Ontario and some other provinces in in Canada, Uh, but we're still in a low low supply market. So yes, interest rates rising has caused the demand side to fall, but we're not really seeing prices fall as quickly as some would have expected them to because the the supply is not increasing.
2: So as someone who works with investors a lot, what are what are investors doing right in this moment?
1: Yeah, it's it's an interesting observation because a lot of people are are talking to us and saying, "Well, you know, what's how is it affecting your business, Kyle? It must be must be slow and Yes. Um, leads coming in and new inquiries coming in since, uh, I would say, March have decreased from the peak. Like January, February it was absolutely crazy. Um, and we've had less inquiries since then. And, and so we've been kind of expecting things to, to start to slow down. But even up to the end of July, we've been outpacing our fundings from last year. So we're about 10 or 15 percent higher year to date than we were last year. Now, August is our first month. We're finally seeing that dip month where we're closing less than um, than we'd be on track for what we were pacing for uh, compared to last year. But it's the first month we've had all year where we're actually decreasing. And I think that part of that is because investors provide us with a bit of a counter lever compared to a, a generalist in the marketplace. When things start to slow down, we get a lot of our investors starting to come back into the market and start to sniff around again. Because... Now is a great time in a low demand market, there are going to be sellers that have to sell. And if there's less people ready to buy that product, then investors are starting to to sniff around and say, you know what, I will buy this property, but only at a big discount. And so a lot of our investors are coming back. A lot of them actually took a step back during this crazy market and said, I'm not going to bid with 20 other people over and over and over again. I don't have the time. I'm, I'm not interested in overpaying for a property. But now that uh, that, that has has, uh, has run its course, we're starting to see a lot of investors starting to come back into the market, even though interest rates are higher, you can get a better deal on a property, you can negotiate better terms. We're starting to see a lot of them are coming back and at least getting prepared to write offers.
2: So it, it seems to me, at least with a lot of people that we're talking to, uh, th- there seems to be two kind of takes. One is that you should wait you know, six months for what potentially could be, uh, kind of finding the bottom in the market or alternatively, some people are out shopping right now to try and get sellers to over correct basically on, on, on where, uh, where they're willing to go right now, just because the market has softened and it is fairly quiet out there. So much uncertainty. And there is so much uncertainty. Are you hearing that in your, in your circles and what, what's your take on that?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I kind of agree with both stories there, actually, because I do think that overall the uh, the market is probably going to slowly decrease a little bit. It's definitely it definitely the floor underneath it in Vancouver in particular, um, and I think that we're at or very close to that floor. I don't think that it's going to get way softer between now and, and six months from now. However, I don't think that that's absolutely wrong or, or completely out of out of line to say that. However, if you're an investor. There are going to be opportunities that pop up now in a month from now, five months from now, six months from now. I don't think that that waiting and timing the market will necessarily um, outperform you just being ready to jump when an opportunity arises. A good example of this is I find that in um, mid to late August in particular, it is probably one of the slowest times in in real estate. You guys probably experience this too. The least amount of calls are coming in. you showing up you know have an open house and They'll be showing up because they are taking their kids for that, that vacation before the summer ends, et cetera. Well, what if there's a really motivated seller that has to sell, They've got to sell quick, they've got to move before school starts and, and whatnot, they need to close in three or four weeks. If you're an investor and you have the pocketbook open, and you're looking at that moment, where you might be able to find a really good deal, or maybe you can negotiate 100 grand off the price, and and on a million dollar property, let's say, well, that 10% decrease, in my opinion, is probably more than what you're going to see in the next six months in general in the market. So I think that as an investor, it's just good to be always prepared and ready and have your eyes open and be willing to throw out some offers, even if they're lowballing it, because you just never know when somebody's willing to accept it and the motivation on the other end.
2: Kyle, we we know you you buy a lot of real estate as an investor yourself, and you're tapped into the Canadian market in general. Should say actually, the North American market. Where are you seeing investors go right now? A lot of investors, it, it, I find, uh, you know, don't don't stop investing in real estate, but it's more so pivoting or moving to a defensive or going to another market potentially. Where are people going?
1: Yeah, good question. A um, couple of areas that I'm noticing right now. As a kind of an overall philosophy, I think that a lot of investment is moving into the short-term rental business right now. I think that investors are trying to find yield in this climate where um, where interest rates have gone up and prices have gone up. And the only way to cash flow a lot of, a lot of product now is to look at the short-term rental uh, market. And so I expect that that trend will, will likely continue for at least the next 6 to 12 months. I'm unsure of where that market will head after a 12-month period, because in general, if we do go into a recessionary period sometime in 2023, which seems becoming more and more of a likely outcome with uh, with the inflation concerns and how the Bank of Canada is, is reacting to that with interest rate rises, in general, you're going to find that those types of assets, uh, assets that people don't need but want, are um, often assets that will also fall in value. So after the subprime crisis, for instance, we saw a lot of recreational real estate decrease because people aren't going to go to their cabin and aren't going to justify that, that, uh, that, you know, that payment that they have or won't be going on as many vacations if they're worried about keeping their jobs. So I'm not sure where that market will head you know, medium term, but I think short term it's still very strong and will continue to be strong. In general, I really like downtown core condos. That market has been relatively flat and reasonably soft because of, uh, because of COVID. And I think that you're going to find with immigration opening back up with employers wanting their employees to come back to um, uh, come back to work with, uh, with entertainment coming back. I think they're going to see a lot more people moving back into the urban centers. And so I think we actually might see the counter to what we saw during COVID, which a lot of people moving east into Chilliwack and Abbotsford, et cetera. I think you're going to see more people kind of get sucked back into the downtown core again. And so I like the downtown core. It's harder to cash flow properties right now at current uh, current uh, interest rates, but I think that in the future, with inflationary pressures in everything, including um, including rents, I think that within a few years, it's reasonable that you could get your cash flow up to where it would need to be to, to make that work. In general, I'm seeing a lot of people buy in Vancouver Island, many different pockets of Vancouver Island, but in general, Vancouver Island, and some other areas like Kamloops and Prince George. Those interior blue color towns also seem to be having a little bit of a surge where there's good cash flow, as well as Edmonton and to a lesser extent, Calgary seem to be uh, other areas that our clients are focusing on, especially as cash flow in BC is getting harder to achieve. In general, it's a bit easier to achieve that in uh, markets like um, Edmonton and Calgary.
2: Framing it maybe a different way, are there markets right now that you would avoid or, or markets that you think are, are potentially going to get beat up worse than others?
1: Probably detached in in the east suburbs I think will be a bit softer in my opinion. Uh, I think that um, I think a lot of people moved uh, moved out there during covid and there is a, a a larger than expected demand for uh, for detached homes in surrey langley uh, abbotsford Chiloc, et cetera and I think that that might start to reverse a little bit as all of a sudden if those people find that they're driving back to to Vancouver more frequently than they realized they would be when they bought out there. Um, you might find that all of a sudden, their employer says you have to come back to work, even if it's just for a couple of days per week. All of a sudden, that one and a half hour commute each way a couple of days a week is going to become quite arduous. And so I think you might see some some shifts there. And just in general, with the fact that, it, that pricing ran up so much in those areas, in general, the higher and faster prices rise in a certain market when things do correct, they tend to generally... Uh, correct in the opposite direction, right? So I do think that we'll see that those types of markets uh, correct a little bit. Um, we're seeing the same thing, and this is outside of BC. But if you go to Ontario, a lot of the suburbs of Ontario are fi- are having that issue. Um, you, you're finding that a lot of those markets are are definitely uh, decreasing, and they're feeling it a bit more than I think we're going to feel it out here. But I still think that those are markets that I would probably be avoiding right now and waiting for that six month mark to see where the dust settles.
3: You know, Kyle, early on, you said you're spending a lot of time uh, explaining to clients what's happening and why it's happening. And I'm kind of curious if you can kind of explain to our listeners what's happening, why it's happening, and, uh, and maybe as a third question, how long it lasts.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So obviously, interest rates are, are rising, and they're rising you know, quite aggressively. Um, so really quickly on, on interest rates and how they work. The Bank of Canada controls what's called the overnight lending rate, which is what determines the prime rate. And so they set the overnight lending rate, that for the longest time during COVID was at a quarter of a percent. And they've been increasing that rate quite aggressively um, over the last couple of months. The most recent change just a couple of weeks ago was them bumping it up by a full 1%, which is obviously affecting anybody in any variable uh, interest rate, whether it's a line of credit or mortgage or anything like that. So, the Bank of Canada has an influence on on anybody that's in a variable rate right now. And uh, for fixed rates, it's actually a completely different market. So, a lot of people expect, that the Bank of Canada moving the interest rates means that fixed rates are rising. They have an effect on it, but it's not a a, a one to one uh, um, impact on it. And so, fixed rates are actually correlated with bond yields. And so, if you wanted to know where fixed rates are heading, you can actually follow the bond yield, so the five year bond yield in Canada. If bond yields are going up, then fixed rates are going up. If they're going down, then they're going, uh, fixed rates will go down in, in general. Uh, the only other factor that you're going to see is generally that the overall money supply and availability of credit determines and affects the, the spread or pricing above those bond yields. And so, as of right now, fixed rates have risen quite substantially over the last six months in particular, since January, because bond yields have gone up, but also Uh, Because the spread over top of bonds has also increased. And part of the reason for that is that the central governments are reversing what they were doing before. So instead of buying bonds and pushing money into the system to get money out, that's one of the main uh, ways that they they actually get money into the system is just by buying bonds and other financial instruments like that. Um, They're doing the opposite now. They're selling off those bonds. And so now there are fewer buyers and more sellers for bonds, which means the yields are going up and fixed rates are going up. So what's happened over the last six months is bond rates have, have, have shot through uh, shoes of the roof, and as well as the, the spread over top of those. We saw fixed rates go. Like We had clients that had rates under 3% back in February, March. And in fact, some of those rate holds just expired like a month ago. We had some clients were funding and closing mortgages in early July that were at 2.99%. A current going rate for a five-year fixed rate with most major banks is around 5.29% right now, which is crazy. So just over a short period of time, rates accelerated quite quickly. What we're seeing over the last few months is that the crime rate has also been increasing quite quickly because the Bank of Canada has been aggressively increasing the rates. Now, the whole reason for all of these interest rates rising is inflation. That's the core reason for this. And and so the government has obviously had an impact on bonds because now they're selling a ton of bonds. They're one of the largest bondholders in, in the world, um, or central banks. And so if they're all selling their bonds, they're they're proactively trying to increase rates in the system in order to slow down how many people are borrowing money to continue to expand because they're concerned about the inflation. Inflation is a very risky thing. It is something that central banks are very concerned with. And so because of the inflation numbers in the US and in Canada in particular, increasing the interest rates is going to slow down the inflation rate. And the interesting thing is it seemed like in the beginning of the year, that there was two different uh, directions the Bank of Canada might take with this, which is either increase the rates slowly, which means that they're going to combat uh, inflation at a slower rate, but also have a lower likelihood that they're going to put themselves into a recessionary period in the next 12 to 18 months. Or the opposite was going to be that they're going to raise the rates very quickly and aggressively in order to stem and, and combat inflation but increase the likelihood of a recession in the next 12 to 18 months. And it seems like that is the stance that they've taken. And that's why we are seeing massive increases, like a full 1% increase to a prime rate, which is almost unheard of. Usually they move in quarter point increments. They're just trying to shock the system by going up aggressively. So as of right now, the prime rate in Canada is 4.7%. The general consensus with economists is that the government's likely to go up into uh, what's called the neutral rate zone. And that would be a prime rate of between 47 to 5.7%. So we're very close to that range. We're at the bottom end of that of that neutral rate zone. If you look at what the, the major banks are predicting, is that the Bank of Canada is likely to go up another half to three quarters of a percent during this year, and then probably no more increases next year. So anybody that's in a variable rate, you can probably expect another half to three quarters of a percent of an increase this year, and they probably will, will not increase it any further um, into next year. Interestingly, on the bond yield side, if you look at what's happening with with bond yields now and also the predictions on bond yields from the major banks, it's about 50-50. A lot of the major banks think that bond yields are going to be about the same as they are today or actually lower than they are today by the end of the year. And every single bank thinks that those bond yields will be lower again by the end of next year. And that's because the bond markets price in recessions. And so it seems like there's a higher likelihood of a recessionary period next year, which means that anybody taking a fixed rate today is probably taking a fixed rate at or very close to the peak of, of short-term fixed rates anyways. And if you're taking a variable rate, then you should be pricing in another half to three quarters of a percent of an increase sometime this year.
2: What would be the strategy? Like if I was to talk to you today, Kyle, and say, look, I want to buy something right now, either as my principal residence or a revenue property, and I kind of want to ride out this uh, this this bumpy period and then hopefully refinance when, when we're at a lower in a lower rate environment, what would your strategy be for someone like that?
1: Yeah, probably, probably one of two things. Most of our clients are going variable right now because the, the nice thing about variable is that you can lock it into a fixed rate at any point in time during your contract, which means that if you, even if you wanted a fixed rate today, but you're willing to take a bit of a bet and a gamble on it, then you might suggest, well, go variable for, for now. And if what the banks are all predicting is going to happen, does happen, then we should see fixed rates compress and decrease over the next 12 to 18 months. And then you could just lock it into a fixed rate at a lower rate than what's available to you today. And and on top of that, the variable rate as of today is still lower. And so you'll probably see that as the prime rate moves up, you're going to inch closer and closer to where a current fixed rate is today, but you'll start off at a lower rate and then inch up closer to that. But because there's some downward pressure on the uh, fixed rates in particular – um, I think that we'll eventually start to see that uh, that fixed rates will start to come down and you'll be able to lock into a lower rate. The other option which we're starting to see a little bit uh, more common with our clients as well right now is either a one-year or a two-year fixed rate. So you just take a one- or two-year fixed rate at a lower interest rate um, than a five-year fixed rate, and then when that mortgage comes up for renewal, then you shop it around and see whether you'd like to go in, into a variable or go into hopefully what ends up being a lower fixed rate and when that uh, renewal comes up.
3: New resources, head over to Oakland.com slash join, type in VRP twenty twenty. That's Oakwind.com slash join. Type in VRP twenty twenty. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to Oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP twenty twenty. For at least the last, well, close to a year, I would say, at least as I understand, the the gap between a five year fixed and variable was was quite dramatic. If I understand, it, there's still that gap that exists, but what you're expecting is potentially over the next year that gap becomes increasingly small.
1: Correct. Yeah, and so we're expecting the gap will start to shrink. It depends on what type of mortgage you're in right now. So if you're getting an insured mortgage, so putting less than twenty percent down, or if your mortgage is what's called insurable, um, and that the, the uh, qualifications are, are are quite complex, but basically if the property was initially insured when you when you bought it you know, five years ago or four years ago, or if you're, you haven't refinanced your property since you bought it a number of years ago and the loan is under a million dollars and a couple of other stipulations, an insured or an insurable mortgage are easier for banks to bundle up and sell at the back door. And the rates are actually a lot better for those right now. There seems to be a bigger spread or gap. But if you're doing that, a, a variable rate right now can be as good as prime minus 0.9 uh, for an insured or an insurable mortgage, whereas if you're getting into a um, an uninsurable mortgage, so if you're trying to refinance or, uh, or you have to go to a major bank for another reason, you'll find that the major banks right now are between prime minus 0.2 and 0.4. So I feel like if you're taking in a, an insured or insurable mortgage with one of the non-bank lenders that mortgage brokers have access to, uh, that prime minus 0.9 rate is pretty good. you currently be at 3.8%, and so even if the rate increases in over half or three-quarters of a percent, you're looking at a rate of 43 to 4.55%, which is still much lower than a current five-year fixed rate. If you're getting into a a mortgage rate with some banks that are around prime minus 0.2%, for instance, right now, you'd be starting at 4.5% and probably increasing another half to three-quarters of a percent, which is bringing you much closer to a current five-year fixed rate. So, It also depends a little bit on what type of mortgage you're able to qualify for. But in general, a lot of our clients that um, can qualify for an insured or insurable mortgage, most of them are going variable because that spread and and discount off prime is quite deep. And even if the Bank of Canada increases a a full 1% this year, we still think that your pricing is going to be below what a current five-year fixed rate is today.
2: Kyle, just for our listeners out there that maybe don't understand financing uh, incredibly well, can you give us a sense of of what this has done for borrowing power for people?
1: Yeah, it's had a major impact. So uh, on top of all of this happening and in, in the rates increasing, for the longest time, we were able to qualify clients at the same rate. So there's been a stress test that came out in, um, in 2016. And effectively, a stress test is... Either your rate plus 2% or 5.25%, whichever is higher. And so it's it's been a um, a situation where because interest rates have been so low for so long, we are qualifying pretty much all of our clients at five and a quarter. Now recently, because interest rates have risen, if you took a five-year fixed rate at 5.29%, you'd actually have to qualify at a rate of 7.29%. And you compare that versus being able to qualify as if your rate was five and a quarter. Well, that's a major increase. And in fact, it's decreasing borrowing power by about 20%. And so not only has pricing gone up and the, and the homes are, are 20% more or, or even more than that over the last couple of years, but you also qualify for 20% less. And so we're in a really interesting market here where we, are, we actually have a number of clients who were, were needing to buy properties very quickly because as soon as the variable rate increased by 1%, we lost about 10% of, of their borrowing power. We're still qualifying them for, you know, about five and a quarter of a percent. And all of a sudden, now that the interest rates have, have risen, uh, they qualify for significantly less. And so for some of our borrowers who are right on the edge, um, there's an incentive for them to buy something uh, very, very quickly before interest rates rose and uh, they were unable to afford it anymore. So it's been an interesting uh, interesting time, not only just on the interest cost itself, but also affordability. We haven't been in a situation where the interest rates rising as quickly is affecting affordability as much as it has recently
2: so so somebody out there having just heard you kind of run through that is is saying well well, why don't you think then that the market's going to get hammered in the next six months maybe right what where where, yeah. where does your confidence come from in 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 the market kind of staying in more of a balanced state then
1: yeah, and it, it kind of depends on, um, on, on where you're looking. And you guys know this, but every market is, is independent in, in a sense, right? Um, you know, how many buyers and sellers are there in any market? And inside of any market, you also have townhomes, condos, detached, et cetera. I think that the key here is with all of this happening, yes, we've seen a decrease in demand. But we have also seen that the supply has not increased. And we still, if you look at the number of properties that are being sold and the percentage of listings that are selling on a month-to-month basis, in many markets, it's still considered a reasonably balanced market. Right. And in a balanced market, you don't typically see that prices continue to decrease. Now, maybe we continue to see, okay, if if buyers' borrowing power decreases further, then we may see the demand eventually slip below the supply threshold, but it's important to understand that for 18 months or so, the demand side was like four to five times higher than the supply side. And it was absolutely nuts. And so even if the demand side has decreased substantially, it is still uh, slightly above or at the line of the supply line, which means that in that type of market, you're still in a balanced market where where in general prices are stable. Now, normally when the market starts to turn a little bit, you're going to find that prices are going to decrease on paper because you're going to, you're seeing back in let's say february if there's 20 bidders being bidding for a home that people are generally paying a bit you know over market for that particular product and so then if you look project into may or june you say okay yeah prices are down by 15 percent well maybe the prices were artificially high in, in february because of a crazy spread between demand and supply and so it's hard to say that that you know you shouldn't be taking that peak number in february and saying well that you know, from that number of prices have decreased by fifteen percent, because I think that's just a general kind of correction in the market that you would expect. And, and any time you see a market change, that's typically what happens. But now that we've kind of corrected it a little bit, we're starting we're still seeing that supply and demand is about equal. And one thing in particular, and this is one of the reasons I really like condos, is you know we we saw that some of the developers were selling condos for a period of time, uh, but it takes a really long time to get condos onto the market. So, COVID hit, a lot of projects got paused, delayed, canceled. And then all of a sudden, okay, yeah, actually there's a really strong market right now. Let's, let's build and let's sell some condos. So you had probably about a 12 month period or maybe up to 18 month period where developers were able to get projects off the ground and were able to pre-sell their their buildings. But now I'm having more um, developers contact us and say, yeah, we need to figure out how we can sell some of our units and promote some of our units again. Well, there's going to be another pause again on on development and construction. And in general, condo building will take three to four years to build where detached can be you know six to nine months to build. And so I think that there's going to be a higher demand for condos in particular. And the supply will, is not something that can just be turned on. It's not a, a, a switch that can be flipped. And so I think that for the next couple of years moving forward, I think you're going to see a higher demand than supply available for condos in particular. And uh, we saw this back in uh, in 2016 to 2018 as well, where the spread between condos and and detached started to decrease as people eventually reconciled and said, okay, we really wanted a house, we can't afford it, let's just buy a condo. So I'm still very bullish on on condos in particular. And if you're looking for probably the safe bet, then I would say buying a condo, maybe you don't see uh, large increases to the value, but I also think that you're unlikely to see decreases to the value of condos for the next couple of years.
3: So Kyle, just thinking about guests over the last couple of years, I feel like uh, that we've talked to week in and week out, and I would guess you would be in this camp, but if somebody said, what's the biggest risk to the market, it would be interest rates, right? Like when we're in the low interest rate environment, interest rates spiking, I think the rise in interest rate that we've seen over the last six months uh, has taken everybody, caught everybody off guard. Everybody's surprised. So we're kind of in that moment just with how fast it's moved. We're in that moment where I think if we were talking to somebody a year ago and said biggest risk to the market would be a, a spike in interest rates, we're there. What uh, in your mind right now is the moving forward is the biggest risk? Is it just that interest rates keep increasing? I, there's been a lot of talk about variable rates leading to, to triggering higher costs. Like, Can you just outline some of the biggest risks to the market?
1: Yeah, I would say it's, it is probably interest rates. Um, if they continue to increase at a, at a higher rate, um, then that is definitely a, um, a concern and, and a consideration. I, I mean, I, I don't think that we're going to see interest rates increase substantially more than they have already. I think that uh, a- after these increases, I think that um, that the Bank of Canada is getting close to running its course. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, I, I would say that inflation is one of the uh, the biggest considerations here, definitely. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting to think about this, too. Inflation affects all hard assets, and real estate is a hard asset. And so realistically, if it costs more to build a property, then what will end up happening is, and this is the problem that developers are having right now, is the market is starting to soften on the demand side. It's not getting any cheaper to build the product. It's getting more expensive to build the product. And so if you see developers step back and say, you know what? Now is just not the right time. I'm getting squeezed on both ends. Lower demand means I have to have more aggressive pricing. But on the same side, it's how it me too much money to build. I don't see the, the supply trend changing. And realistically, yes, we're talking a lot about interest rates affecting the demand side. But we're not really talking about, like, I don't really see any circumstance where the supply side changes. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because the typical seller sentiment in Vancouver is, that if somebody's putting their property on the market to list, if they don't get their price, then they're just not going to sell. You're not seeing a ton of people saying, oh, my gosh, I have to sell right now because this is the absolute peak of the real estate market and the bubble is going to burst. And I just throw my property in the market. And I don't see, the, I don't see uh, realtors saying that they're getting a lot of those calls. We're not seeing the data support that. So we don't see a massive uptick in supply on the seller sentiment, your typical homeowner in Vancouver saying, I need to sell now because this is the peak, where you, you might find that in other markets in Canada and in particular in the US, I think it's more common down there. And the other side of it is that for for builders, it's um it's even harder for them to justify building in this particular climate right now if they can't sell out of their product. So I think the problem is we're actually still have a demand problem, and it won't be solved by very many things. It's very hard to to actually solve the the supply issue here in in greater Vancouver. And so that risk of the supply increasing substantially is not really on the table. And I think, yes, you can continue to to decrease the demand side, but there's such little room for the supply side to decrease further that even if demand continues to increase due to interest rates, I don't think they're going to see massive decreases to uh, to values in the, in the lower mainland, in particular.
2: You know, it's funny we had uh, Bo Jarvis uh, on the show recently, President of West Group, and he was saying that downtown, specifically, and this is kind of in support of your your comment about about focusing on downtown as a good investment, but saying that a lot of the buildings downtown, a huge percentage of them, are are currently priced below replacement cost, hmm. which is which is pretty incredible to think about. Would you buy pre-sale right now?
1: You know, I, I'm usually not very keen on pre-sales. And for one of the first times in my, in my investing career, I'm actually very interested and very keen on, on pre-sales. I'm starting to sniff around a little bit. And what you'll find is that some developers are offering some incentives on, on pre-sales. I shared something really interesting the other day. There's a developer in the Valley that's offering the ability to do a pre-sale with zero deposit. And what they're doing is they're blanketing some security over another property that you own. So they're saying, hey, we do have a 20% deposit, but you don't physically need to give us actual cash. We'll just secure a registered charge against another property that you own. So we have a claim in in equity somewhere. We don't actually have to physically give us the cash. And so I think developers are going to get a little bit more creative here in an effort to be able to sell their product. But I'm very interested in, you know, doing a pre-sale um, where a property might not complete for a couple of years because I actually see that the supply side will not increase substantially where demand, especially for downtown condos, uh, may be fairly solid. Um, I'd love to be closing on a condo in, in anywhere from two to four years because I'm I'm very I'm very sure that the values will be higher in a two to four year period, especially if I can negotiate a really good um, arrangement with regards to the deposit. If I can get a 10% deposit, for instance, on on two downtown condos, I'd be very keen on that.
3: Interesting. So in terms of strategy right now, Kyle, I'm just wondering for people out there, you know, let's say that own real estate and are potentially looking to acquire more, it sounds like you're not necessarily playing defense. It looks like you're looking for opportunities. Can you, maybe if you had to offer one, Piece of advice for this moment: Are you paying down debt? Are you out just searching for pre-sales in specific locations, like we just talked about downtown, for instance? What What's one piece of advice for for people out there listening?
1: What I'll say is that, and this is what a lot of our investors are doing right now, is they're just getting prepared to be able to take action if and when the opportunity arises. Um, Our messaging is is very consistent. There is no need to rush into a deal if it's not a deal right? Don't go and buy the first thing that you see because I don't think there's a need to do that. But I do think there is a good plan in place to get prepared to perhaps take action. Because if you look at things and you say, okay, where's my down payment going to come from? Maybe you need to uh, to set up a home equity line of credit against your residents because the values are probably never going to be, or not never, but won't be higher than this for the, at least the short term, especially if you're trying to restructure something against a detached home. Well, maybe getting your capital... Readily available, getting pre qualified, knowing what you can take action on, what you can't, having all your documents organized in, in advance may allow you to take advantage of opportunities that come up because sometimes an opportunity comes up where it's very time sensitive. And if you already know exactly what you can qualify for, you can write an offer, get your financing approved in just a couple of days, move quick on the deal, close within three weeks or four weeks, something like that, where another com- competitor may not be able to offer that type of offer and put that on the table. I just think that being prepared making sure you have your down payment and everything organized. And then when an opportunity arises, just being able to pounce, because there will be opportunities in this type of market for sure. And a lot of our smart investors are just getting prepared to be able to take uh, take action and be able to pull the trigger if the right deal comes along. But I also feel like if it's not a really good deal, there's no reason to jump the gun. You know, just just be prepared and be ready to uh, to jump if something does pop up.
2: Well, maybe we'll leave it there, Kyle. Fantastic advice as always. Uh, We do have this segment called the Five Wire, five lighthearted questions to end the show. Can you stick around for that? Of course. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller
3: systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We
2: also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country.
3: There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more.
2: Okay, so this time we're changing it up a bit because I think- We we know uh,
3: your dance. We know your your music choices.
2: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) We we had to change it up. So question number one, what is your favorite area in Vancouver?
1: Oh, geez. It's funny you ask this question. So my, my fiance and I, uh, we bought a place in North Vancouver, love North Vancouver. However, we're also uh, members at Jericho tennis club. And in the summer, Kitts is just wonderful. Kitts, is a beautiful area. We, we love it. And so we're starting to think about like, where, where's the next move for us? We love North Vancouver because we have two dogs. And we love to take our dogs out for walks and hiking trails are everywhere. But on the flip side, too, Kitsilano is a beautiful area to be in the summer, but I say it's not as, as green in, in the winter in general. It's not as, as bumping. But those are probably the two areas that we're kind of zeroing in on that we really, really like, which is either Kitsilano or, or North Vancouver for different reasons. It's tough when, when especially the weather wasn't very good for a long period of time. We'd be at Jericho Tennis Club having you know playing tennis, having dinner, looking over, and it'd be sunny there. We'd look over to North Vancouver, and sure enough, cloudy, rainy, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, uh, is great in the summer. And uh, it's just, there's a little less to do though in the winter. It's not, you can just walk five or 10 minutes and be on a hiking trail like you can in North Vancouver.
3: So that
2: it's, it's kind of split between those two. Two uh, blue chip uh,
3: areas. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I have some questions about your tennis game, but uh, maybe <laughs> I'll save those for once. once we're <laughs> off. Fa- favorite bar or restaurant?
1: Uh, okay. Um, you know, um I went to Elise the other day for uh, for a great uh, great steak. I really like that place. I think they do a really great job. The steaks wonderful, appetizers are great. I think it's uh, if you haven't been there and you and you really are a steak lover, then I think you should definitely check it out.
2: Oh, that's a great one. Downtown Penthouse or Westside Mansion? <sighs> wow
1: probably Westside mansion. I think, um, really like downtown and, and, you know, downtown penthouse was really nice, but I think, I think for entertaining, I think I'd rather have the West, uh, West Panthers. I'd rather have a backyard and a patio party.
3: Oh yeah. Very nice. First place you bring someone from out of town. If it was me, it would be Jericho oh. tennis club. <laughs> you you also I, did it, a bit of a it, Bora. Yeah. <laughs>
1: it's, it's actually, yeah, it's actually been one of our spots that we do take our friends to. So, um, we we are a five-minute drive from the Capilano sus- suspension bridge, and then we are members at Jericho Tennis Club. So again, that North Van versus Kitsilano thing is kind of a tug and pull. If it's summertime, I think we're taking them to Jericho. And if it's uh, you know the um, shoulder season or, um, or winter, then I think we're probably taking them to Capilano sus- uh, suspension bridge.
2: You know, I I just want to point this out because it just occurred to me. I've said for years that people buy real estate based on the desire to entertain, and you—that uh, was your your reason for the West Side Mansion was I'd rather entertain on a West Side Mansion. <laughs> you're always thinking about having people over. That's that's a that's a telltale sign. That's a that's great, Kyle. Last question: a book recommendation uh, for our listeners. I think we've asked you that before, but we know that you're an avid reader. So, uh, do you have a recommendation?
1: Yeah, um I've read a lot of really good books lately. I'm just trying to think of one that uh, that would be the most clickable here. It was a, a book that I really enjoyed. I mean, one that I keep coming back to and I actually had my entire team uh read uh with me was um uh was The Ultimate Sales Machine by Chet Holmes. Um I found that if you're if you're building a, a business and building a sales team in particular, I found that that was a really effective book. It talked a lot about uh business-to-consumer marketing, but also business-to-business marketing. And um, I read that book probably 10 or 15 years ago. And there were so- certain moments that would pop into my head over and over again, little phrases or, or strategies or whatever. And then after I reread the book, I'm like, holy cow, there's a lot of things that came from that specific book. And so I may have already mentioned this book on a previous one, but I'm going to bring that one up again because I, uh, I think it's really good for anybody that's building a sales team. That's
2: fantastic. Well, uh, Kyle, how can people find out more about what you're up to and, of course, about the Green Mortgage Team?
1: Yeah, um, you can visit our website at www.greenmortgageteam.ca. phone 604-229-5515. I also own Origin Home Financing Partners, which is a company where we support mortgage brokers to build their businesses. So if you're interested in in becoming a mortgage broker or you are a mortgage broker and you wanted to learn more about what value you're bringing to uh, to mortgage brokers or their underwriting center and uh, and courses? Then you can check us out there. And uh, and last but not least, uh, we're finalizing a real estate investor two day course in uh, in September in, the, in September 24th and 25th for my uh, real estate invest- or my real estate consulting company called Green We're actually going to have top level accountants and lawyers coming out to that event to uh, to be speakers at the event. And the intention here is that uh, over the two-day course, you're going to actually be able to create a clear and concise game plan for yourself. So you'll be able to leave the event and know exactly what step one, two, three, four, five, et cetera, is to build out uh, your real estate portfolio and just give you more clarity. Because we found that a lot of the investment groups provide a lot of information, but, um, but it's not as, as one-on-one or personal. It doesn't help people really get clarity on building their own game plan. And so um, if you want to learn more about that, then you can email us at uh, info at greenwellcapital.ca.
3: Fantastic. Well, thanks so much again for your time, Kyle. It's always great to have you on the show. And uh, yeah, we're in a unique moment. So it's good to get your take.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, looking forward to it. It's, uh, it's going to be an interesting next, uh, next couple of months, but, uh, but we're ready.
3: All right. OK, thanks, Kyle. Take care. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Kyle Green owner of Green Mortgage Teams. And as he details at the end of that conversation, an assortment of other business ventures right now, nobody's going to say Kyle Green's not a hustler.
2: Yeah, no kidding. Eh? It's like, we haven't talked to you for three weeks. Oh, I started three new companies. Yeah, <laughs> no uh, kidding, eh? he's, he's, he's a busy guy for sure. And it definitely has his finger on the pulse. A lot of people, especially if you've been in real estate investing, really a, lo- a common thread is, man, I wish I got into this when I was younger. Right? Like, is that, oh, is that yeah. fair to say? Yeah, that's
3: always the way. Kyle, and, and Kyle's like the been, only guy. Yeah. He couldn't have been younger. He's like, and then I got called on stage. I was 12. Yeah. Like, yeah. What? How did this even, what a very uh, fortunate uh, position to fortunate be. Fortunate position, but also uh, wisdom beyond his years. Let's yeah. put it that way. Because you, you know, there's a lot of people that would, uh, would flounder in that situation.
2: And not a lot of people get to debate between North Van and Kits, but uh yeah, no kidding. He's yeah. he's in a
3: he's in a good spot that Kyle <laughs> he's Green. He's in a good spot that's for sure. Uh what else do we have before we cut for the week, Adam? We have com. This is our website where all things real estate related live, including the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast, in which it sounds like you and Corey spoke to the mayor of parksville mayor
2: of parksville the, the
3: political yeah. the political heavyweights continue on the vancouver commercial real estate podcast that's a
2: great episode by the way you know as demonstrated by an email from our dad uh he was like that that was a good Oh yeah. Yeah. That was a good show. Yeah, He only comments on the ones where uh where he really likes them and that was that was one that got a, a Jabo thumbs
3: up. The, the mayor of Parksville got his attention, that's for sure. Anyway, back to our website com. We have all the synopses of the episodes. We have the Live Wire. This is our weekly mailer with stats before anyone else, different types of stats, episode guides, deal of the month pre-sales, residential and commercial. There's no reason why you don't want to be on the live wire. We also have tried and true private client services. Because
2: Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free at your fingertips. It's available at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. As we've said time and time again on this show, in markets like this, there's no better resource than private client services because you get to see the sold prices in real time as the market is changing, so when something sells, did it? Did they get asking for? Well, you it? Did know it Sell I, for ten percent below.
3: This is the time. This is a time, and real estate is local, as everyone knows. And aggregate stats are very useful. But you know what? If you're monitoring submarkets, some are doing. Fairview, I'm looking at you. Uh, well, there was that mar- one, remarkably well. Yeah, there was that
2: one that had like what's like some like seventy people through on the weekend and five pre-inspections still. I called on a, I called on a place in uh, North Burnaby that had an accepted offer, like, you know, within a day that was like, not, not really, like, it was like a pretty much a fair market value price point from three months ago. So the point is, the point is, is that there's stuff still moving. You want to know where the opportunities are. You want to know the markets that are, that are holding firm. It's just a time to be
3: monitoring. Absolutely, and uh, if you want to talk about that or anything else, you can try me at seven seven eight eight four seven two eight five four or Matt at Podcast dot com, or you can try me at seven seven eight eight
2: six six four five seven four or Adam at VancouverRealestatePodcast dot com.
3: We also got that Kokomo line info at Podcast dot com. Yeah, and come back next week for another great
2: episode. We've got some really great shows coming up. Super exciting! Yeah, uh, can't wait. Uh, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a hot summer here at Kokomo Studios. <laughs> All right, have a good week.
3: Stay stay cool.
1: Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.